You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. You guys, it's been so fun being here with you. I love this. I'm going to come a little closer. Is that okay? I'm good with the lights. That doesn't bother me at all. That's good. This has been really fun for me to get to spend some time with you. I I love it so much. It's great. We're talking about growing together as a church community at Res. We're talking about growing in your vision to live life together in the goodness of God. We're talking about growing in your effectiveness in reaching the people of South Austin with the good news of Jesus Christ. We're talking about growing in your individual discipleship to the Lord. How do I just get... How do I grow in my, in my relationship with the Lord? And we've been talking about growth in terms of engagement, right? In terms of engagement. We've mentioned how increased engagement takes discipline. How discipline looks like advanced decision-making. Is this sounding familiar? saying no to something in advance so that then later I can say yes to something else, something that that for me is more preferred because I've got some reasons to prefer this thing instead of these other good things. And we've applied that idea of saying no to some things in order to say yes to others. We've applied that idea to the ways that we spend our time, the ways that we spend our money. Last night we said it is imperative for both the individual Christian, but also for the whole parish community to devote themselves, to like doggedly pursue four things. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, right? And in order to say yes to those things, we asked ourselves the question, we said, what can I rearrange in my schedule? What can I rearrange in my priorities? in order to ensure things like church attendance, table groups, service? What will I say no to in order to say yes to these other things? And then this morning, we looked at the biblical logic of stewardship. We looked at the biblical logic of discipleship. And we saw how these things can produce in us this freedom from insecurity and grow in us a joyful generosity, like this thing that just comes bubbling up, like an overflow that comes bubbling up out of our lives. And we asked ourselves a similar question. What can I rearrange in my budget, in my spending habits, to ensure ensure that making my giving to God through my local church is a priority in my life? And again, we, we asked, what do we say no to? in order to say yes to these other things. And, and, and tonight, we're going to wrap things up by, taking, by talking about our, our, our third key area of engagement. That is our hearts. How do we engage with our, our hearts? That's our, that, that, by that I mean our loves or even our desires. How do I engage in my, in my faith and mission and discipleship with my, my, my desires, my, my wanter, 
How can my wanter be aligned to want the things of God? It is entirely possible to be physically present, to show up at things and not be truly engaged. Would you agree with that? It is like entirely possible to be here and to be somewhere else. Like in the Lego movie, did you see the Lego movie? Where, of course you did. When Lucy's explaining to Emmett some like important information, like the plot of the movie, and he's looking at her, and he's physically present with her, and the whole time she's talking to him, all he's hearing is blah, 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 blah. Do you remember this scene? And he's thinking how pretty she is, and he thinks maybe she's mad at him, but he wonders why, and she thinks maybe she does like him. His body is there, but he, he is like somewhere else. And as Lucy finishes, Emmett responds, great, I think I got it, but just in case, tell me the whole thing again, I wasn't listening. You ever had a moment like that? I've like started telling people that all the time. Okay, good, I think I got it, but just in case... Tell me the whole thing again. I wasn't, I wasn't, I was, my mind was somewhere else. I was physically present with you. So sorry, but I actually wasn't paying any attention. We can be physically present and not be truly engaged. We can even give money to something and not be engaged with what we're giving to. Does that sound weird to you? For instance, who has ever been invested with your hearts, like at a truly heart level, in the IRS as they're taking your taxes? Show of hands. I just love the mission of the IRS. Nobody. Nobody. We're not investing. We're giving them our money. As we've been talking about engaging in mission and discipleship through presence and through generosity, it is not lost on me, you guys, that it is entirely possible to make those things a mere duty. Just something that we've got to do, like an, an item on a checklist that I'm just trying to cross off and then move on as quickly as possible. It's like a task that I just got to get through. But engaging in our discipleship and in our mission, it's meant to be something more than that. It's meant to be like a heart-level engagement. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say, tolerate the Lord your God. Or be nice to your neighbor. That's not what he said. I mean, even being nice is, is a good thing, right? It's nice. We like to be nice, but that's not what he said. He said, love your neighbor. Love the Lord your God. Now, love isn't merely a feeling. It is expressed in action. But there's a difference between doing the right thing half-heartedly and doing the right thing wholeheartedly, right? There's a difference Certainly, it's better to do the right thing half-heartedly than it is to do the wrong thing. For instance, if you really want to, like, steal something, it's better if you sort of, like, half-heartedly refrain than taking something that doesn't belong to you, right? That is, that, that's, a, that's a positive step in the right direction. But doing the right thing with your whole heart makes a huge difference. It actually makes a difference. For instance, in one of my favorite movies, Rocky. You've seen Rocky? I hope that you have all seen Rocky. Rocky's one of my favorite movies. Apollo Creed offers, you remember this? To let Rocky Balboa have a shot, challenge him for the heavyweight title. And because Rocky's a nobody, Apollo Creed, he's, he, he's not taking it very seriously, right? I mean, he is already healthy. He goes to the gym. He's like ripped. 
He does the right things, but he does them sort of half-heartedly. There's this scene where Apollo's trainer sees, he's like watching the TV. Do you remember this? And he sees Rocky, he's training on the TV. And he's like, hey, Apollo, you got to like come over here and check this guy out on the TV. This guy like means business. And Apollo's like reading something over here. Yeah, 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 I mean, I mean business too. I mean business too. He's like doing, he knows what to do to win. He is the champ. But he's kind of just like not super engaged. Rocky, on the other hand. Rocky is like blown away by the opportunity to do anything. Like, what? I get to fight the champ? And so he does the same basic things. He does the same things that, that Apollo does. He works out. He like eats well. I mean, if you can call those eggs and everything, I don't know. But he's like doing what he, what he should. But he does them like his life depends on it. Right? Like, like his trainer, Mickey. You remember Mickey? And he's like, but Rocky's got heart. He does everything with his heart. And that heart level engagement is a huge part of the reason why Rocky didn't lose that fight. Not because he like worked out better or he had better equipment or he had better people on his team. Apollo had all that stuff, but Apollo's heart wasn't any. Yeah, 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 I mean business too. And Rocky's like, no, I've got to be totally focused. My heart is in it. Engaging with our hearts matters a lot. But what if you, what if you find that, that your heart just isn't engaged? What if, what if being present and giving money, for instance, for the sake of your discipleship and mission, just doesn't sound like something you want to do? What if that's just the place you find yourself in? What if that's just not where I'm at? Am I just, is my only option then like just, Mere duty? Is that all I'm left with? Like, well, you should. You just should do that. So, muscle through. Right? Like my Moana. I always tell my kids, muscle up, buttercup. Moana. What was that guy? Maui is telling Moana, right? Muscle up, buttercup. Is that all we're left with? God just being like, muscle up, buttercup. I know you don't want to. Tough. That's what it is to be a good Christian. Is that it? The good news, I think, for you and for me this weekend is that our very desires, our loves, our wants can actually be reordered. They can actually be redirected. The thing that I wanted can actually shift. My wanter can learn to want different things. Sometimes we feel helpless in the face of our desires. Well, I just want what I want, right? I can't control what I want. Worse, sometimes we're told that if we want to alter our desires, if we want to alter what we want, we're somehow not being true to ourselves. Have you ever heard anybody say something like that? Well, the true you wants that. So you just go for it. If you, if you don't, you're just giving in to some sort of like backward moralistic agenda that's robbing you of your true identity. I hear that kind of stuff all the time. Well, if this is what your heart wants, that's you. You should just go do that thing. But, you know, we don't always believe that, do we? 
There are certain arenas in which we don't believe that thing. When I go to the gym, for instance, which let's be honest, I never go to the gym, but let's pretend I did. And I, because I have in the past, and I'll tell you what, working out to me, just quite frankly and honestly, I'm sorry for those of you who love working out, but to me, it feels terrible. It feels terrible. And I can just say when I started going to the gym, even just going on the elliptical for like 20 minutes, I get home and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like sweating. And I'm like, after I get home, I can't, my body is like not functioning. It's like going into shock. What did you do? You spent 20 minutes moving your legs. I'm like laying on the floor because it's cold, trying to cool down. This feels terrible. This is not good. Everything is wrong. And in a moment like that, what my trainer does not tell me is, look, man, heart to heart, deep inside, you're just an unhealthy person destined to die early. That's just who you are. This whole thing about wanting to change your desires, wanting to be healthy, I just think, you know, don't try to change your desires and habits. Be true to yourself. You're that guy. You're not the, the healthy guy. Nobody, no, we know that that's crazy. The reality is sometimes our wants don't correspond to what's good for us. Sometimes I have like a genuine, sincere desire to do something destructive. Sometimes I have like a genuine, sincere to desire to do something that will not be good for me that will not enhance my relationship with the Lord, that will not encourage engagement. But the good news, again, you guys, this is like, have you ever had that experience? Where you're like, I just want this thing that isn't, am I the only one? The good news for me and for you tonight is that our wanter can learn to want different things. Have you ever thought about that? You can actually learn to want something else. Some of you are looking like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'll prove it to you. 12 years ago, 12 years ago, not one person in this room wanted an iPhone. None of you. Because they didn't exist. They didn't exist. So there was no reason to want one of them. But then we were advertised to, weren't we? And we saw friends who had an iPhone. And through repeated exposure and multiple points of contact over the course of time, we developed a desire for an iPhone. And through repeated exposure, multiple points of contact, we realized this thing that I used to want, that's not what I wanted. You remember, we used to want a Nokia. Do you remember this? Or if you were super cool, you wanted a Blackberry, right? Your BlackBerry was through repeated points of contact, repeated exposure. The desire for the BlackBerry was completely replaced. It was redirected toward iPhone. Desires and loves can be redirected. They can be reordered. They can change. And this reality can either work for us or it can work against us because I can develop desires that are helpful to me or I can develop desires that are going to be hurtful to me, that are going to be destructive for me. That's why Proverbs 4, 23 says this. Listen to this. Above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. We're told to guard our hearts precisely because our hearts can be influenced. Are you with me? Guard your above all else. 
Guard your hearts because everything you do flows from your heart. Guard it. The big question, of course, is, well, how? How does that work? How do we, how do we help our hearts want to engage with God and the things that are of his kingdom and his desires? How do we even go about doing that? Well, basically, it works the same way that it works with our phones. Through repeated exposure to and multiple points of contact with something, anything, over the course of time, we will develop or redirect our desires and our loves toward that thing. That's how it works. It's like how human beings work. In his book, You Are What You Love, have you guys read You Are What You Love by Jamie Smith? If you haven't read this book, I just would love to recommend it to you. It's super good. He, he, he identifies these repeated points of contact as liturgies, cultural liturgies, kind of these, these things that we keep going through, these processes, these 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 things that we that we come into these repeated points at Redeemer in Santa Cruz we we speak of uh, rhythms these things that we have a rhythmic engagement with to help facilitate an ongoing conversion in Christ whatever we call them liturgies rhythms disciplines pra- practices in all of these cases what we're talking about are are like rituals we're talking about practices that we engage in over and over again with the result that our loves are redirected toward whatever the practices themselves are oriented toward. That makes sense? So if I engage in a rhythmic practice of watching iPhone ads, like if it's just something I do, I go, I go to apple.com, I'm like, hey, I need to see what the 10 is up to. Right? I want to see what the features are. If I make a rhythmic practice of doing that, or if I make a rhythmic practice of attending Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference otherwise participating in the cult of Mac, I will develop a desire for an iPhone. Right? That's how that works. It's going to happen. I will be shaped in my person to want the next iteration. Like those of us who have iPhones, they're like, oh yeah, I want the 10. I want the facial recognition. I want all that stuff, right? I may even evangelize for Apple products. Hey man, you got to check out the new features. This is super cool. You should get one. I know it's a thousand bucks. It's awesome. It's worth it. Less constructive. Less constructive. If I engage in a rhythmic practice of watching pornography and seeking out the culture that surrounds pornography, I will develop a desire to watch more pornography. That's what will happen to me. And my wants and my expectations about sex, about relationships, will be shaped according to what I see. But if I engage in a rhythmic practice of prayer and of worship, I will develop a desire for God. I will develop a desire for the things of God. That's what will happen. My my heart will be redirected Godward. I will want to be present to my faith. I will want to give for the sake of mission. I will no longer simply be engaging in mere duty, but in living out my love for God. 
and for his kingdom. The big revelation here for me is that the Christian life is, 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 is so much more than sin management. You know what I mean when I say sin management? Like when I really want to do something that malforms me, I'm like, I know it malforms me. I know it's not good for me, but the fact is I just really want to do it. And so I'm told, but I know it's morally bad. I know that's wrong, even though I really like it and I want to do it. So what I'll do is I know it's bad. I really want to, so I'm just going to try really hard not to do that thing. I'll just try and keep trying harder and harder to not do that thing. That's sin management. I'm going to try to like control all of these things and keep everything in order. And sin management doesn't change hearts. Sin management doesn't make my heart want anything different than it already wants. And if that's all I'm involved in, I may be able to construct a Christian-looking facade for a time, but only for a time, because the moment I'm put under some sort of pressure, the moment I'm experiencing like a lot of stress, at work, or the moment I get squeezed financially, I begin to crack, and what starts leaking out of me is that desire for porn, or that desire to eat more than I need, or that desire to spend more than I have, because that's what I really want, and that's the thing that I believe is actually really comforting to me. That's the thing that I actually believe is what's good for me. That's the thing my heart is really attracted to. But again, you guys, the good news, the good news for us is that the Christian life isn't about mere sin management. God is so much more powerful than telling us, good luck, hope you can like follow the rules. The Christian life is about engaging in certain life rhythms that actually redirect my heart towards God so that when I'm pressured, when I'm under that tremendous amount of stress, what comes leaking out of me is virtue. Faith starts leaking out of me. And hope, the knowledge I'm not alone. What comes leaking out of me is love, concern for other people, honesty, even when it's tough. Because over the course of time, I have had repeated exposure to and multiple points of contact with practices that have developed new or redirected my actual desires and loves Godward. Through these practices, I, my wants have actually changed. So what comes leaking out of me in those tough moments isn't like, well, that's just who I really am inside, this sort of like person who wants something else. No, what comes out is what's exposed is I want the Lord. My mom used to tell me, Rob, practice makes perfect. So be careful what you practice. You'll get really good at it. Whatever you engage in over and over again, you're going to get so good at it. Be careful. Those things that you practice. Well, it's true that all our practices shape our desires. Specifically, what I want to mention to you tonight, and most profoundly, what I want to mention to you tonight, what I'd like you to hear, is that worship shapes your desires. What you worship shapes your desire. The Psalms actually says that 
These people who worship idols, they become like them. You remember this? Those idols, they can't speak, they're dumb. They can't hear, they're deaf. And the people who worship them, the Psalms say, become like them because what you revere, you resemble. What you worship, you become like. The way you worship influences the deepest part of you, what you want, what you desire. We mentioned earlier yesterday, I think it was yesterday, the old maxim that says the law of prayer is the law of belief. Said another, as you, as you worship, so you will believe. Show me the way you worship and I can tell you your theology. You remember this? At some point, someone added to that maxim, the law of prayer is the law of belief, is the law of living. The way you pray, as you worship, so you will believe, so you will then live. Lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. The way you worship will influence the way you believe, the way you want, the way you live. The way we worship will ultimately shape the way we live in the world because our worship shapes our loves and our desires. And then those desires and those loves, they're like this thing that pull us forward in the way we live. One of Jamie Smith's great insights in his book is that there's plenty of times where we go, no, 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 we're thinking people, right? My mind directs my decisions. Except for the reality is I know I'm supposed to go to the gym. And I already told you, I don't. My gym, you guys, like if you go out my door, you go down the street, take a right, the gym is right there. I still can't get there. This is not going to happen. It's like right there. I know I should do it. I know it'll make me strong. It'll make me have less pain in my back and all this stuff. Not going to happen. Because what I know isn't directing my life. What is directing my life? My desire. I want to sleep in the morning. I want to eat more ice cream, just quite transparently. This is like what I want. I don't want to go lift heavy things. It seems dumb to me. Even though I know I should, what's actually directing my life is my heart. Well, you guys, the way we worship will ultimately shape the way we live in the world because it affects our hearts. It affects our wants and our desires. The proverb, remember it said, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart, not from what you know. What we know is helpful. We want to know good things. But what we actually do with our lives, it flows from our heart. Guard your heart because everything you do flows from that. Our worship nurtures, it conditions our hearts, and our hearts direct the courses of our lives. What this means for us is that it is hugely important to make sure that you and I have daily habits of worship that reorient our hearts Godward. That's kind of like the bottom line here, right? We need to have daily habits daily practices that we engage in that are going to like be sure to redirect my heart in the direction that I'm hoping it goes toward God. And there are a lot of ways that we can engage in personal daily worship. You can receive daily Eucharist, right? You can receive communion every day. You can practice a kind of uh, 
mental prayer known as like discursive meditation. You can, you can practice contemplation. But I just want to mention one way. One way that happens to be one of the most helpful practices that I personally have ever experienced in my Christian faith. I want to share it with you because it has had such a profound effect on me. And that is praying the daily office. Praying the daily office has been transformational to me. Morning and evening prayer. These, these are short liturgies. We've been, we've been getting, like this morning we prayed morning prayer. Tonight we're going to pray Compline. These short liturgies, they have truly been transformational to me. I grew up being told to have a quiet time. Anybody, have you ever been told to have a quiet time? I knew that I was supposed to read my Bible and pray every day, and I would grow, grow, grow. But I found it a little bit intimidating, honestly. I was like, how do I pray? What do I say when I'm, when I'm in my quiet time, like by myself? What is, it, what is it that I'm doing? I've like, you guys, I was maybe an extreme teenager. I don't know. I locked myself in my room. I remember one day for like eight hours to be like, I am going to pray today. I'm going to have some experience with the Lord that will change my life. It was one of the most frustrating days of my life. That's what happened. God, where are you? What are you doing? Why is nothing happening? Where is the mountaintop? What am I supposed to do in this quiet time? I thought maybe I was the only one who didn't know how to pray. And then I read Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Listen to this. We do not know how to pray as we ought. I'm not the only one. That's me. We don't know how to pray. The daily office gives us these pre-written prayers, many of which come from the scriptures themselves. It's like the scripture arranged for prayer so that through daily use, I can learn how to pray. It actually teaches me that thing that I don't know how to do. We learn how to pray prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of praise, prayers of confession, prayers of intercession, prayers of supplication. We learn all of this stuff in the daily office. I've also had a hard time sometimes knowing what to read in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that the Bible is like a really big book? Have you ever tried to read it from front to end? You get through like the first few books. You're like, this is going well. It's like telling me a story. And then you get to the prophets. You're like, I lost the plot. I have no idea. Or even Deuteronomy. You're like, why are they repeating the same thing over and over again? And then you're reading the prophets. I have no idea. Why are we, what are you talking about? And then you get to the Psalms and you're like, no, this isn't telling me a story. Let's move on. I don't even know what's going on. Song of songs. There was one pastor. He said he read the song of songs, the song of Solomon. He's like, who spiked my Bible? What, where did this all come from? What, what is going on in this? It's this huge book. How do you read this? The Daily Office makes use of what's called a lectionary, which is basically like this reading plan that guides your reading throughout the year. I'm like, well, thank God. I need some like help here, knowing what to read and how does it fit with the story. But let me tell you something, you guys. More than those things, more than learning how to pray and learning how to read the Scripture, which is a, a hugely helpful thing, more than that, growing up as a Christian, I was taught to do certain things, and to avoid certain things. And the only method I could think of, like my heart wanted to comply. Does anybody relate with this? I was told, do these things, don't do these things. I'm like, yes, I want to do this. And the only way I could think to comply with what I was taught was sin management. I better just try harder and harder. I will like try to be a good Christian. I will try to do the thing that my pastor is telling me. To, my pastor said, don't watch R-rated movies. I won't watch R-rated movies. And then I watched The Passion of the Christ. And I'm like, that was probably a bad thing. Because it was rated R. What, what, just sin management, trying to create categories. And I just have to say, 
Though that desire is honorable, it was really, really frustrating when I would commit again and again the same sin that I had constantly, consistently been trying to stop. And I'm like, I just can't. And then I started praying the daily office. It seemed completely unrelated. There's nothing in the daily office about how to avoid my particular pet sin. It's not what it's talking about. But I started praying the daily office, and I remember six months into this daily practice and thinking to myself, you know that sin I was struggling with? It's so funny. So funny. I haven't even been thinking about it, but I find that now I don't even want that anymore. I haven't even been thinking about it. I've been like engaged in something else somewhere in the last six months of like being shaped in my prayers, having my desires directed Godward. Somewhere in the last six months, that stopped being a desire for me. Instead of just trying to not do that thing I wanted to do, how about I just try to redirect my heart, my desires to the thing that I do want to do? And then somewhere in the, I can't tell you when it happened. Somewhere along the line, it like wasn't a big deal to me anymore. I just stopped wanting that thing. I had actually changed. I didn't have to do sin management. My heart had become engaged with God and his kingdom. The daily office has been transformational to me. And I would like to commend it to you. I'd like to commend to you the daily office. It was so helpful for me in redirect that daily practice of worship, these, these rhythms, these rituals every day that I knew were going to redirect, recalibrate my heart like a compass needle, just point me right to God every day. And if you don't know where to start, what's so cool about the daily office is that there's different forms of the daily office that you can start with. You can experiment with it. You can find what's going to work best for you. You can use the Book of Common Prayer, which, as you know, is sort of a confusing book. It's like good technology, but it's sort of old technology. But you know what? You've got like some great priests here. Who I bet if you came to Sean and you said, Sean, would you teach me how to pray the daily office so I could just do this thing every day? He would not answer you, no, not going to do that. He would love to teach you. Not only that, you've got it in other places. You've got, some, you've got something on your iPhone that you could have. If you guys go to the trinitymission.com, you can have somebody like lead you in the daily office. There's all kinds of things. Mission St. Clair exists. Mission St. Clair is cool. It's a little long. You go to the brief. Okay, there you go. You go to the brief one. Trinity Mission, if you go to the Trinity, thetrinitymission.com, you have somebody even in our diocese who will read you out loud, like guide you audibly through the daily office every day. If you don't want to do that, if you're like, no, I need to read it myself, I need it, but I need it a little more brief, you could do Phyllis Tickle's. Uh, I know Phyllis Tickle is sort of a fun name, but we love it. We love her so much. And she has made an abbreviated daily office called the Divine Hours. That's a great place to start if you need something helpful just to kind of get you into it. But it's worth it. All of that is worth it because our daily practices, the rhythms of our worship that we engage in, they matter. And I know our routines are established. We get up, we got to go slow, or we get up and we got to hurry up and get out of the house or whatever. They're tough to change. But the change, you guys, is worth it. Especially if my new rhythms serve to start pointing my heart Godward. 
And so again this evening, for the last time this weekend, I want to ask you, what can I rearrange in my daily routine to ensure that I spend time daily in heart-changing worship? Just think about your day. What can I rearrange? What will I say no to in order to say yes to something else? Like that athlete that we've been talking about who says no to beer and pizza now, right? Not because they're bad. Like who doesn't want some DeSano Neapolitan pizza, right? Some Chimay. But because I want to say yes to the gold medal later. Maybe you wake up a little bit earlier in the morning. Maybe you have to go to bed a little bit earlier in the evening. Maybe you want to invite some coworkers to pray together on your lunch break. You're like, well, I'm at the office. I may as well start. What if you formed like a noonday office group in your office? Maybe you gather at the church before heading to work in the mornings. Maybe you listen to the daily office on your commute. You're like, I got to drive. I'm going to just, I'm going to use this time to have my heart recalibrated toward the Lord. Again, I don't know what the specifics are for your life, and I don't even want to try to prescribe that for you. What I do know is that engagement takes discipline, and that discipline looks like advanced decision-making. You have to say no to something in advance so that you can say yes to something else later. You know, if churches like Rez or like Redeemer in Santa Cruz with us, if we're going to actually live life together in the goodness of God, we are all going to need to grow in our engagement with our own personal discipleship and with our mission. And in part, that means making sure we are present together on Sunday mornings for worship and in table groups. It means ensuring that we will grow in our generosity, that we apply the logic of stewardship and the logic of discipleship to the way that we spend the money that God has entrusted to us. And it means making sure that all of this comes not merely from like this dry sense of duty, sin management, I got to try harder, but from a genuine place of love and gratitude, love for the Lord, gratitude to the Lord. And so I want to encourage all of us to make some advanced decisions to daily worship the Lord, to pray, to read his word. Because these Olympic athlete-like decisions enable us to engage wholeheartedly for the sake of discipleship and mission. You guys, it has been so fun for me to talk with you. I love getting to talk about these things. Before, before we end, are we, do, we, do we need to move on right now? Let me, just, let me just ask you, is there anything that you guys have been thinking? Like, what has the Lord been saying to you? Maybe try to filter out some of the stuff that you're like, yeah, this is good stuff, but here's, here's the one thing that God is is sharing with me. Maybe something that you think might be helpful even to somebody else. Or maybe you want to share something like, the Lord said this to just my heart. Here's, here's where I'm headed in these days to come. What has the Lord said to you? How are you 
going to the Lord and saying, Lord, here's my schedule. How do you want me to spend you, the time that you've given me? Here's my budget. How do you want me to spend your money? Here's my heart. How would you like my heart to be directed? It'd be really good to maybe not be on the screen when I get up in the morning. I've talked to some people who have trouble sleeping at night. And, there's, and they say, well, what if we put our screens away so that our minds aren't in this place? There's like been actual research done, right? That if, when we're using screens before bed, it actually keeps us awake. If you check your phone in the middle of the night or something, it actually like wakes your mind up. It makes it difficult to sleep. What, what did you want to share? I was just going to say that I have all these thoughts swirling, but I, I don't know what to say or share yet. Like I still, it's... it's deep and meaningful still that I, I think it's going to be a while before I feel like I've processed everything yeah. that I've learned in the past 24 hours. So thank you. Yeah, some of the stuff can take a little bit of time, huh? Is there anything else that you want to share? So something I've thought about since Rob and I have been talking about all of this a lot as he's been preparing this and it's been a big part of our lives, but I have four kids and I do not have silence in my life, ever. <laughs> so I don't feel like I, ha I could be like, you know what, I'm just going to take 10 minutes in the morning to be silent before the Lord um, and make that a choice. It's really just a season of my life that I do not have silence, really, unless I were to wake up at 4 instead of 5, I suppose. <laughs> but something I've been learning um, is how can I make my daily practices with my family more intentional toward the Lord and not just feel like, well, I can't do it. It's just the season of life that I'm in, you know, that I have these little kids crawling on me and it's loud and distracting and I can't, I just, ha I, I can't do it. Um, and some of the ways I've been doing that is just doing prayer times that it involve my children being like, we're going to do this now and trying to invite them into it and making it something that I can invite them in to do with me and um, not just giving up on that. So I don't know if that's helpful for anybody who's in that season of life where you do have children, but um, something I've been stretching myself into a little bit more um, to make a part of my daily rhythms, and um, it's been really helpful. So. Just wanted to share that. Anything else? Anything else burning? Mario. I'll go ahead and talk because I think that what you're talking about actually intersects with where I'm at right now. Just probably about three weeks ago, I, I just got this desire to really level up in my career in, in film and stuff and what I'm doing. And it, it, it has redirected my wonder towards like career in a way that I haven't felt in like a year. And I get really driven and I, I have felt free uh, from unhealthy ambition for a year and with this new like desire to go further into my career I feel God has been calling me to go like deeper as an artist but I also am like this could be an idol and I, I feel like the idolatry in my heart and I'm like God I had to talk with God the other day I'm like if I can't do this as an act of worship like I'm afraid to do it and so I'm just at this crossroads where I'm trying to figure out how to like run, you know, full into that, but like have it as an act of worship. Because I've done it, I've done it before, and then I've also done the idolatry thing before, and I know it sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really helpful, huh? 
there's things that we can do in life that might be fine in some times, in some areas, if they can be done as like an act of the Lord. Like there's nothing wrong with spending our time in like really good ways, right? And there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having things. The thing is like, how are we using them for the Lord, right? So, there's, so we might have some holy ambition. How does that work? Did you want to say something? Listen to my wife. <clears throat> our, uh, our small group has decided to do the evening prayer at the end of it uh, each time we meet, which is every other week because we serve a big meal and we just can't pull that off every week. But we've also committed to doing daily prayer on a daily basis. And honestly, I've, I'm finding that hard to do myself because you get out of a habit of doing it and pretty soon it's not there anymore. But it's, it's a goal I think we want to attain to, especially after hearing what you've said about it tonight. So I think we're maybe re-motivated to get started on that again. The point of our, we committed to doing it for three months, morning and evening prayer. Morning has worked out well for us, and I think evening has worked out well for some of the others in the group. But the point was is that we were, as a table group, reading the same scriptures together as a body so that we would be united in that. And, and we were going to report back to each other after that. So uh, if to other table group people, um, it, it, it is a discipline. And, and we, you know, I think, and we've talked about it at group every once in a while, and we continue to kind of keep each other accountable. So there we are. Yeah, great. Well, you guys, I've had such a great time talking with you and getting to spend some time with you. I'm really looking forward to worshiping together tomorrow morning. But can I just say, before we end, yeah, come on up and get ready for music and stuff. I just want to say I'm super excited for Rez. Can you believe that your church is only three years old? I'm just hearing stories even at dinner of how people are coming together and coming, coming to this community and how the Lord is directing people to Rez demonstrates what I'm sure is the case for all of us. We all have stories that are under three years old of how God directed us together here. That means, presumably, if God is directing you guys together, God has some really good plans for you. Have you considered that? Presumably, if God wanted to start a church here, he's got a lot of people who he wants to be impacted, not just by this like sort of institution called Res, but by you guys, like the core of this community. I'm really excited for your future. I'm really excited to see how you impact South Austin. And I would like to just say one more thing before I'm done talking, and that is that you have here a really good great priest. Do you know this? Like, I want you guys to know that this guy right here is somebody who loves the Lord deeply, who has made deep and tremendous sacrifice in his life to, like, give up a job in tech where he had lots of money, where he had lots of things going for him, to go to seminary, to go learn about the Lord, all the while knowing the Lord's going to use this somehow. Years ago, God was planting something inside this man, and he has been prepared to serve you. You are the people who God has given Father Sean. And I want you to know that he is yours. 
And if you're like, you know what, I want to dive into this conversation. I need some guidance in knowing how do I realign my life? How do I engage? How do I, how do I rethink some of my schedule or my budget or whatever? You have a priest here who God has given you. You have a priest. You have a spiritual father. This guy is a really good guy to follow. You can put your, hand, your life in his guidance. You can follow him because, not because he's great in himself, but because he has devoted himself to following Jesus. Just like the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I follow Christ. You can go ahead and imitate Sean and follow Sean and entrust yourself to the church at Res because Sean is wholeheartedly devoted to following Jesus. And I want you to know, he is a really good guy. I love this man so much. Are you getting that vibe? I'm not biased. I just love him. I think he's really good. All right, you guys, thanks for letting me speak to you. Love you guys. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.